Welcome to the podcast of the universe. Warning. Steve is on his bullshit again. Let's start the show. I'm sitting, drinking, waiting, thinking, hoping for a train. Written by an unknown traveler on a water tank in Black Butte near the tracks. And today, I'm real fucking excited to talk to you about hobos. Let's start with a few definitions. A tramp. A tramp travels, but will only work as a last resort. A bum does not travel and doesn't work. A hobo? A hobo is a traveling worker. A bridger? A bridger is a hobo who rode both steam and diesel locomotives. A hobo jungle? That's a makeshift uh, encampment adjacent to a railroad freight carrier property where the train hoppers or hobos congregate while waiting for their outbound train. A bull or a yard bull is a railroad police officer whose job it is to secure rail yards and prevent theft, damage, and people jumping onto the trains. I think I see a train coming. Let's jump on and get started with the show. I always thought of hobos as lazy, crafty tricksters who would steal a pie off a windowsill and tell you that they would paint your fence after you gave them a meal only to disappear after they finished their plate. All of my prior ideas regarding hobos were basically from cartoons. There are multiple theories, but there's no definitive answer as to the origin of the term hobo. The hobo was a migrant worker who often used the rail system as a method of transportation starting in the mid to late 1800s. There is speculation that the word came into existence in the western U.S., but it is accepted that it is an Americanism. Before hobos were catching dangerous free rides, there was the original tramp, those that would wander the countryside looking for work. It was these people who planted the seeds of leaving home for a nomadic life, taking jobs where you could. This term would later be co-opted. After the Civil War ended, the railroad system began flourishing, and so did the hobo culture. By 1910, there may have been as many as a million of them, but there are many different estimates. The Great Depression saw many people leave their homes due to the shame of being out of work and young men that didn't want to be a burden to their families. They believed they could find work out there and maybe even have enough money to send back home. But it wasn't as simple as waiting to catch a train. There were many dangers to riding the rails. There was exposure to the elements. Uh, They could be crushed between cars, uh, falling from moving trains. Also, the bulls could be very violent. Uh, They were known to assault hobos and even take their money, and some even shot hobos. Uh, I found one number in 1920 that there were 2,166 people killed for trespassing in rail yards. Some bulls even left refrigerated cars unlocked to tempt hobos to get inside. Later on, they would go back and lock them in, and the hobo would freeze to death in the car. And not all hobos were men. If the hobo lifestyle wasn't dangerous enough, being a woman riding the rails could become exponentially more terrifying. It was estimated that 10% of people hopping on a train were in fact women. Some female hobos would disguise themselves in men's clothing and keep their hair short to enjoy the additional safeties of being a man on the rails. Ones that did not disguise their gender needed to demonstrate that they were not helpless. Some examples I found was uh, there was a woman who would uh, shoot crows off of power lines and demonstrating that she was uh, accurate with the shot or other women who would keep a visible boot knife in view. Uh, Proper hobo men were to treat women respectfully, but their culture saw them as part of the mainstream society and not as members of their own subculture. Another problem is that not all travelers were hobos or proper hobos. 
that lived by a, a code, and we'll get into that code later. A woman during those times could be looking for work, but they could also be escaping abusive relationships, and sometimes they traveled with children as well. The Big Rock, Candy Mountain One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking. And he said, Boys, I'm not turning. I'm heading for a land that's far away, beside the crystal fountain. So come with me and we'll go see the Big Rock, Candy Mountain. That's a famous old hobo poem. Now this next topic threw me for a, a bit of a loop, basically because of my ignorance. But there is something called the International Brotherhood Welfare Association, and I'll just refer to them from now on as the Welfare Brotherhood for short. So the purpose of the Welfare Brotherhood was to make the hobos not only better citizens, but also better hobos. And they wanted to improve the public perception of the hobo. The goals of the association were to A. Bring together the unorganized workers. B. To cooperate with persons and organizations who desire to better social conditions. C. To utilize unused land and machinery in order to provide, to provide work for the unemployed. D. To furnish medical, legal, and other aid to its members. E. To organize the unorganized and assist them in obtaining work at remunerative wages and transportation when, re when required. F. To educate the public mind to the right of collective ownership in production and distribution. And G. To bring about the scientific, industrial, intellectual, moral, and spiritual development of the masses. Now, the Welfare Brotherhood even began hobo colleges. They provided food, shelter, a place to congregate, and to learn. They were educated on industrial law, vagrancy laws, communication skills, tips on how to look for work, even venereal diseases, and a lot of other useful information for a hobo. Uh, it even got deep with philosophy, literature, and religion discussions. Class was mostly held through the winter, as jobs weren't as plentiful, and in the wintertime, that's when hobos would congregate in city centers. And the man who started the IBWA and the Hobo College was James Howe. He was incredibly wealthy, but he chose the hobo life. In the newspapers, he was referred to as the millionaire hobo. Some of the colleges from time to time would fail, and Howe spent a great deal of time traveling around and restarting them to keep them going. Uh, Howe also founded the Hobo News, which was published monthly. It was 16 ad-free pages for a nickel or 50 cents for an annual subscription. Its slogan was, Of the Hobos, By the Hobos, and For the Hobos. At its peak circulation, it reached 20,000 readers. It contained reader submissions, poems, essays, articles about the life and times of hobos, as well as labor organizing. Uh, it did have a couple names throughout the years. It began in 1913 as Hobos Jungle Scout, and then Hobo News from 1915 until 1929. After World War I and the U.S. government attacks on the radical industrial workers of the world, also known as Wobblies, uh, many IWW supporters joined the IBWA, and the Hobo News became a more radical and socialist paper. This caused trouble with the government, and the paper lost its second-class mailing privileges. There was an eternal rift, and eventually Hobo World was started as a radical competitor, and accounts of relations between the two vary. Some describe the hobo world as a competitor to hobo news, and other sources say that it was just a different name for the same paper, or at least a replacement for it. Now, of course, I looked up on eBay for 
copies that survived of the Hobo News, and you can purchase them, but they're at least a couple hundred dollars, and I don't want to pay a couple hundred dollars for a Hobo newspaper. So what I'll probably do is from time to time check in to see if I can find a, a cheap copy. Uh, maybe someone doesn't know what they have. Or maybe I can find a collection that's been reprinted. You could also send your thoughts and prayers that I get a copy of Hobo News. Anyway, here's another hobo poem. Early every morning the sheriff comes around. He gives us rotten herring that weighs a quarter pound with coffee like tobacco juice and bread that's hard and stale. And that is the way they fed us bows in Cecil County Jail. It was written by Bill Quirky, who was a hobo. Now I mentioned earlier that hobos had an ethical code that they were to follow, and I'd like to share that with you. Number one, decide your own life. Don't let another person run or rule you. Number two, when in town, always respect the local law and officials and try to be a gentleman at all times. Number three, don't take advantage of someone who is in a vulnerable situation, locals or other hobos. Number four, always try to find work, even if temporary, and always seek out jobs nobody wants. By, do by doing so, you not only help a business along, but ensure employment should you return to that town again. Number five, when no employment is available, make your own work by using your added talents at crafts. Number six, do not allow yourself to become a stupid drunk and set a bad example for locals' treatment of other hobos. Number seven, when jungling in town, respect handouts. Do not wear them out. Another hobo will be coming along who will need them as badly, if not worse, than you. Number eight, always respect nature. Do not leave garbage where you are jungling. Number nine, if in a community jungle, always pitch in and help. Number 10, try to stay clean and boil up wherever possible. Number 11, when traveling, ride your, ride your train respectfully. Take no personal chances, cause no problems with the operating crew or host railroad. Act like an extra crew member. Number 12, do not cause problems in a train yard. Another hobo will be coming along who will need passage through that yard. Number 13, help all runaway children and try to induce them to return home. Number 14, help your fellow hobos whenever and wherever needed. You may need help someday. Number 15, and I'm very interested in this one. If present at a hobo court and you have testimony, give it. Whether for or against the accused, your voice counts. I spent a long time looking for hobo court. I found hobo newspapers, hobo college, but no, no hobo court. Now, there was one thing that I was aware of, and that was the hobo symbols or the hobo alphabet. So they would scratch things to communicate with other hobos. Uh, some of them might say, it might be a symbol of a cat that would say, kind-hearted lady. Or something to indicate that a doctor would uh, treat you with no charge. Or if you could get food for chores. Or if you could sleep in a loft or a barn. Um... Basically, if there was a, a lot of police in the area that were active, uh, if hobos were arrested on site, if there was uh, clean water, if there was a uh, good road uh, to follow, if there was a judge who lived there or a dangerous man, if there was an aggressive dog or a man with a gun, uh, if you needed to be ready to defend yourself, or if there was danger, 
even if there were four dogs, there was a symbol for that, where you could find a telephone, keep away, hold your tongue, if they were able to find food there, or if someone was kind, uh, lived in a home, or get out of town fast. There was even something for that. And I just find those, uh, the legends, looking those up for the symbols and the meanings, I found those fascinating. That'd be a good idea for a poster, too. Maybe I should get that framed and, and put that in, in, in the studio. Anyway, here's another hobo poem. It's titled Bread. Oh, my heart, it is just aching for a little bit of bacon and a hunk of bread and a little mug of brew. I'm tired of seeing scenery. Just lead me to a beanery where there's something more than only air to chew. That was written by Henry Herbert Nibbs. You can find that on Songs of the Outlands, Ballad of the Hobos, another verse from 1914. So every year for the last 118 years, I think I got that right, and there's no way to know, there is a hobo convention where a hobo king and queen are crowned in the hobo capital of the world, Britt, Iowa. They also hold a memorial service for hobos who had passed away since the last convention, and hobos show respect by tapping their walking sticks on hobo gravestones. And when a hobo dies, they are said to have caught the westbound. Britt, Iowa also boasts uh, the National Hobo Museum. During the convention, there are hobo marriages where the following vows are exchanged. They are, We are in accord with the following. You are the way you are, and it's okay for you to be that way. May my love for you always be greater than my need for you. May I always do what's right, even when it's not what I want, to help you to be a success in your way. And here are some famous and notable hobos. T-Bone Slim. T-Bone Slim was a famous hobo writer, uh, born in 1880 in Erie, Pennsylvania. He was a member of the socialist group, the Industrial Workers of the World, so he was a wobbly. He once wrote, There is nothing more disgusting than a man staggering home from a work dog-tired, grabbing a hasty feverish supper, saying goodnight to his family, and rolling into bed half-washed to repeat the same thing 312 times per year. He slipped off a dock in New York City and drowned in 1940. Utah Phillips, a famous hobo singer and poet who ran for U.S. Senate under the Peace and Freedom Party, and then later ran for President of the United States of America in 1976 under the Do-Nothing Party. Utah wrote songs such as Hallelujah, I'm a Bum, Bread and Roses, Daddy, What is a Train, and Moose, Turd, Pie. He recorded an album with Annie Franco uh, that was nominated for an Emmy and had other songs played by Emmy Lou Harris and Tom Waits. Utah died on May 23, 2008 at the age of 73. Jack London uh, for a time was a hobo. He was the author of White Fang and Claw of the Wild. Another, I don't want to lump this guy into the hobos, but he rode the trains. I want to keep this episode light. Uh, but there's a, a guy named Carl Panzram. Uh, he was a serial killer, rapist, arsonist, and burglar. All-around bad guy. He rode the rails. There was A number one. A number one is arguably the most famous hobo in the United States. His given name was Leon Ray Livingston. He was born in 1872 and a lifelong wanderer. Um, 
he was riding the rails and stowing away on ships at the age of 11. And then he began to write about his journeys, and he wrote a dozen books on the subject. And he was also played by Lee Marvin in the in a movie we'll talk about in a second. Of course, Jack Kerouac, novelist and poet, and definitely on the Mount Rushmore uh, for the Beat Generation. Uh, Woody Guthrie, uh, singer-songwriter, folk music hero. He wrote This Land is Your Land, of course. And he also made Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan weak in the knees. Uh, Jack Dempsey, Hall of Fame professional boxer who was heavyweight champion from 1919 until 1926. He also rode the rails. And here's another hobo poem. I'm a wandering son with the nervous feet that were never meant for a steady beat. I've had many a job for a little while. I've been on the bum and I've lived in style. And there was the road stretching mile after mile and nothing to do but go. Author unknown and published in The Hobo in Song and Story. Hobos in Pop Culture. 1973, a movie was released, The Emperor of the North, and starred Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin played the legendary hobo A Number One. A Number One was renowned for his expertise in riding the rails for free, but meets his match with Shaq, a fierce railroad conductor who mercilessly kicks stowaways off of his train. Joined by a brash young hobo, Cigarette, who's played by Keith Carradine, A Number One manages to elude Shaq, but issues a challenge to the heavily armed conductor, announcing that he will ride the train for its entire route, leading to a violent showdown between the two strong-willed men. I recommend, that's a bit of a harder movie to find. Um, I know uh, my brother had gotten that off um, Amazon, but I think there was only a couple copies and it was kind of pricey. Um, there is, of course, the 2011 Hobo with a Shotgun. Homeless Vigilante, played by Rutger Hauer, blows away crooked cops, pedophile Santas, and other scumbags with his trusty pump-action shotgun. Uh, also starring Rob Wells, who was Ricky in the Trailer Park Boys. In the 1930s, there was Emmett Kelly, and he was the first sad hobo clown, Weary Willie, who could be seen sweeping up the circus rings after uh, other performers. He often tried and always failed to sweep up the pool of light coming from a spotlight. And then, of course, The Littlest Hobo. The first series aired from 1963 to 1965. I didn't know that, and uh, I don't care about that either. And I don't care about the 1958 film by the same name. I'm only here to talk about the CTV classic that had six seasons from 1979 to 1985. London, the German Shepherd, would go town to town helping those in need. And they had guest stars each, each episode, people like Leslie Nielsen, Abe Vigoda, a young Mike Myers. And it was in researching for this episode that I learned that there was more than one London. Maybe I should have kept that to myself, and if I ruined your childhood, I apologize. But basically, there were dogs who were better suited for certain stunts or tricks or commands, so they needed uh, multiple Londons uh, for each episode. And there's another recommendation. Uh, I'll give you for, for something to watch. If you caught me on the Pag and Place podcast with Kalen Capson, uh, if you didn't, I recommend you go over and, uh, and subscribe to his podcast. Uh, I did a, an episode there and it came out in three parts. But on that, I mentioned that I was going to be doing a hobo episode. I mentioned that there's a guy on YouTube, uh, and he had like, uh, uh, multiple, 
I think it was four parts without looking. His name's Brave Dave. I couldn't think of it when I was doing the episode with Kalen. But when I was on Kalen's show, I said that there was this great um, series of videos on YouTube. Uh, check him out. His name's Brave Dave. It's called Brave Dave's Big Fat Freight Hop. And he traveled a lot, uh, a large part of Canada on the rails. I think he started in Montreal and went west. So he actually got caught after the fact. And when he came back to Canada, uh, he was detained. And they said, sign this piece of paper saying you don't want to come back. Or we'll, you know, try you for riding the rails illegally. And I know I just spoiled the series, but it's a fantastic watch. Uh, and he just did it solo with a camera. He had some help along the way, but he traveled the, the train solo. So I recommend watching that on YouTube. Uh, there were some other... I did a lot of research for this um, episode, but I wanted to keep it fairly light. I came across a group called the FTRA, the Freight Train Riders of America. Uh, some people question if they exist or not. Some people say that they do. Some people claim to be members. Um, there are some bodies that they uh, are, are attributed to uh, their crimes. And uh, also some... Um, white supremacy involved as well and I didn't want to put that on this episode so maybe they will get a standalone episode and I will hang on to this research uh, until then if I'm ever in the mood to cover them so that is it uh, for the hobo episode I will put uh, links to uh, Brave Dave's video uh, in the show notes and I'll put a link for um the Pagan Place podcast, my appearance on that. And speaking of the Pagan Place, uh, Hats was also invited to go with me uh, for that episode, and he declined. He told us that he had plans, but I think he's a liar. He could have just said he didn't want to go. You don't have to lie about it. Did you listen to it? All three? Yeah? What did you think? Hats is shrugging, acting like it's... Yeah, it was all right. Okay, thanks. So if you happen to be a hobo or have uh, more hobo uh, knowledge than I do, which there's probably a lot of you that do, feel free to contact me. You can email me at uh, podcastoftheuniverse at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Instagram at thisispotu, T-H-I-S-I-S-P-O-T-U. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. My Twitter use has almost dropped to zero. I have, I'm just having a hard time with Twitter now. I've completely fallen out of love with Twitter. And now I just abuse Instagram uh, with just, uh, uh, I don't even know what you could call um, my content. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just uh, a lot of shit posting, I guess. But that's fun. That's what, that's what I'm having fun with now on social media. I've kind of left Twitter behind. And I just learned today that I can use Giphy on Instagram. And I used to love GIFs on, on Twitter, so now I can use them on Instagram. So I may never go back. Who knows? So let's wrap this up. Um, I have lots of research left over. This is much shorter than I expected uh, with all of the research I had done. But I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to have anything uh, too negative in the show today. I wanted a fun more upbeat episode than usual. So I will hang on to all of this additional information uh, because I keep keep everything and uh, I'll keep that for a rainy day. 
And the next topic, well, the next one won't be so cheery. It's going to be a deep dive on Steven Seagal. I loved Steven Seagal as a child, and those movies uh, in the 80s and the early 90s, that was a classic time for cinema, uh, and I love those movies. But watching them now, well, I mean, I, I Steven Seagal makes it very hard to be a Steven Seagal fan, and he's pretty much ruined all of those movies. So we will we'll meet back next time and hear all about Steven Seagal's claims, claims others have made about him, and the time he shit his pants, allegedly, on a movie set. So that'll do it for today. Hats, is there anything you want to get off your chest? No? Of course. I'm going to stop asking you that, because you never answer. So find me on Instagram. This is Poe2, and we'll be back, I don't know when, probably within the next two weeks, with a lot of information about Steven Seagal you didn't ask for. And I'm going to leave you with a song. Usually I don't on this show, but today I thought, why not? So until next time, be curious. There's a voice that keeps on calling me Down the road, that's where I'll